Migilat Esther is one of the most beloved stories in the Jewish tradition. It is the tale of how the wicked Haman plotted to destroy the Jewish people and was ultimately outwitted by Mordechai and Esther. The story itself is often understood as a battle between opposing characters who ultimately replace each other. The Talmud Bavli in Tractate Megillah 10b highlights some of these trade-ins. The nefarious Haman is upstaged and replaced by the righteous Mordechai. The wicked Vashti is deposed and traded in for the virtuous Esther. At the beginning of the story, the enemies of the Jews are powerful, while the Jews themselves are weak and vulnerable. By the end of the Megillah, the Jews have risen so high in the ranks of Ahasuerus' government that their enemies begin to dress up as Jews in order to curry favor. This traditional tendency to read the Megillah as a series of oppositional characters can inure us to some of the more subtle ways that the characters grow and develop throughout the course of the story. Our topic today is the Megillah's depiction of Vashti and Esther. Through a close reading of the verses in which Vashti and Esther appear, we will see that while at first the two women are painted as diametric opposites, eventually Esther learns from her predecessor's example and incorporates some of Vashti's traits into herself. Indeed, it is Esther's ability to channel part of Vashti's personality that allows Esther to become successful in saving the Jewish people. Vashti herself only appears for a brief few verses. Chapter 1 of the Megillah begins with a very elaborate description of the lavish parties that Ahasuerus throws in the third year of his reign. The narrator dazzles us with descriptions of the sumptuous wall hangings strung on silver rods and marble pillars, of gold and silver beds on inlaid floors of alabaster and marble and pearls and precious stones. We are told of the hordes of guests, both dignitaries and commoners. Then, in the midst of all this, we are told in verse 9, Gam vashti hamalka asita mishte nashim beit hamalchut asher lamelech achashverosh. Also, the queen Vashti made a party for women in the royal house that belonged to the king Achashverosh. This is our first introduction to Vashti the queen. We are told that in the midst of her husband's 187 days of partying, she stakes out her own space and invites her own guests. Interestingly, we are told that the affair takes place in the royal house, which is an indicator of Vashti's power. The royal house is hers to use. Yet, in this same verse, Vashti's authority is undercut, as we are reminded that the royal house really belongs to Ahasuerus. Next, the scene shifts back to the rambunctious goings-on at the men's party. We are told that on the last day of the party, when the king's heart was merry with wine, he requests that his servants bring forth Queen Vashti. She is to wear her royal crown and show off her beauty to the presumably very drunken masses. It's important to try to imagine the scene. Ahasuerus has just been partying for 187 days. He has invited important guests from afar and all of the citizens of the capital city of Shushan. He has shown them his wealth, his glory, and his formidable wine collection. And now, on the very last day of the party, he is poised to show off his most treasured possession, his fantastically gorgeous wife Vashti. We can imagine Ahasuerus and the guests waiting expectantly for the servants to return with the ultimate trophy of the king.
And then suddenly the scene breaks. We are told in verse 12, Vatimain hamalka vashti lavo bidvar hamelach. The queen vashti refuses to come as the king had ordered. This is shocking. Everyone is waiting to see vashti. The king had commanded her appearance, and now his dignity and authority are shattered. As we might expect, Ahasuerus is enraged by this flagrant display of disobedience. It's important to note that the Megillah never tells us why Vashti refuses to come before the king. If we were to speculate, it might be that she finds it improper and undignified to display herself before the drunken hordes. Or, perhaps she was angry that the king had waited until day 187 of the festivities to invite her. Or, maybe she wanted to embarrass her husband with her rebuff. Talmud Bavli, Tractate Megillah 10b, offers the possibility that there was something wrong with Vashti's physical appearance that day that made her reluctant to show herself. According to Rabbi Yossi Bar Hanina, she came down with a sudden case of leprosy. Another opinion suggests that she sprouted a tail. At any rate, Vashti's refusal makes the king irate. He immediately summons his advisors to recommend a fitting response to such a serious breach of protocol. One advisor, a clever fellow by the name of Mimuchan, tells the king that Vashti's refusal is not a personal offense against the king, but rather an issue of dire national importance. Vashti's disobedience will inspire all the women in the empire to scorn their husbands and rebel against them. Mimuchan predicts in verse 17, when the word of the queen's refusal gets out to the women, they will scorn their husbands, saying, The king Ahasuerus ordered that Vashti be brought before him, and she didn't come. In order to rectify this social upheaval, Mimuchan advises the king to make it known that Vashti will never again appear before him, a fitting punishment for her refusal to appear this time, and that her position will be given by the king to a more deserving woman. Mimuchan assures the king that this course of action will cause the women of the kingdom to once again respect their menfolk. And, in case this goal wasn't entirely clear, missives are sent out to every corner of the land, declaring that each man shall rule in his household and speak his own language. In this manner, Vashti's brief but startling rebellion comes to an abrupt end. In truth, the Megillah does not tell us very much about Vashti. We know that she was beautiful, she threw a party, and that she refused to come before the king when summoned. Although her appearance in the Megillah is relatively circumscribed, her story casts a shadow over the events of the rest of the Megillah. Chapter 2 begins after the king's anger has abated. We are told that he remembers Vashti, and what she had done, and what was decreed against her. His servants suggest that he search for a new queen. These verses are intriguing in their vagueness. What does the king remember about Vashti? Does he remember her fondly, regret the way he treated her, and long to have her back? Or does he remember her warily and fear to take on a new queen, lest she bring about similar embarrassments? The nature of the king's memories of Vashti will influence the search for a new queen. Is Ahasuerus hoping to find another Vashti or an anti-Vashti? The servants tell the king that he should collect together all the beautiful virgin damsels in the kingdom and then choose between them. 
We know then that like Vashti the new queen should be beautiful. But should she also like Vashti be headstrong and feisty? Or should she be meek and obedient? Neither the servants nor the king specify anything more about what kind of woman the ideal candidate for queen will be. Apparently the king will know her when he sees her. To gain more of an insight into what Ahasuerus was looking for, let's look closely at whom he winds up choosing. We are first introduced to Esther in chapter 2. She is described as a very beautiful girl who is motherless and fatherless. We are told in verse 7 that she was taken as a foster daughter by Mordechai, and in verse 8 that she was taken to the king's palace as part of the search for a queen. Later on, in verse 16, Esther is taken before the king. In all cases, the action is done to Esther. She doesn't do anything herself. While she is in the palace, Mordechai comes by every day, Lirot et Shlom Esther Umaye Aseba, to see how Esther is faring and what will be done to her. Again, there is a sense that things will be done to Esther and not that she will do them on her own. We are also told that she keeps her identity secret because Mordechai has commanded her not to tell. When each candidate for the queenship is brought before the king, she is entitled to ask for whatever she wants to accompany her. We are told, though, that Esther requests nothing on her own. She simply takes whatever Haggai, the officer in charge, recommends. In verse 15, we are told that Esther finds favor in the eyes of all who saw her. Rabbinic sources propose different reasons why everyone liked Esther so much. In Talmud Bavli, Tractate Megillah 13a, Rabbi Elazar suggests, Each and every person took Esther for a member of his or her own nation. The Talmud suggests that what made Esther so pleasing was a certain quality of pliability. Somehow, everyone who saw her believed that she was like them. The Midrash in Esther Rabbah cites a similar idea. Rabbi Yuda Omer, Ki Rabbi Yehuda suggests that Esther was like a statue, which a thousand persons can gaze upon, and it is pleasing to all of them. Like a statue, Esther was a template onto which everyone could project their desires. The rabbis suggest that people liked Esther because she was for them whomever they wanted her to be. By the middle of chapter 2, Esther emerges as a pliable, compliant sort of woman. She is taken from one situation to another, she obeys her foster father religiously, and she asks for nothing on her own. In short, she seems to be the opposite of feisty, take control, Vashti. Not surprisingly, Ahasuerus falls for Esther immediately. She is seemingly all that he wants. He will never need to fear that Esther will show him up or disobey him. He places the royal crown on her head, Vashti. He makes her queen instead of Vashti. The king was looking for someone to take Vashti's place, and he has chosen Vashti's foil. The verses confirm that even after Esther becomes queen, she still retains her obedient qualities. We are told that Mamar Mordechai Esther Osa Kaasher Haitab Omnaito. Esther continued to obey Mordechai's command as she did when she was under his care. The chapter ends with Mordechai foiling a plot to assassinate the king. Esther plays a role in that story, but 
only as a passive relayer of messages between Mordechai and the king. Although the Megillah presents Vashti and Esther as opposites, they become more similar in the world of Midrash. The Midrash in Esther Rabbah highlights the fact that Esther was an orphan. Rabbi Barachia, in the name of Rabbi Levi, says that God said to Israel, You cried out, saying, Yitomim hayinu ve'enav, We are like orphans without a father. I swear that the Redeemer that I will appoint for you in the future will also be fatherless and motherless. In this Midrash, God promises the people of Israel that their Redeemer will also be an orphan. And the fact that Esther is the orphan seems to be central to her role as their Redeemer. Esther is a symbol of the Jewish people. At the beginning of the story, the Jewish people, like Esther, are vulnerable as orphans. Later, as Esther gains power, the Jewish people as a whole gain power as well. Interestingly, the Alkut Shimoni, another collection of Midrash, also describes Vashti as a vulnerable orphan. The Midrash describes the night that Belshazzar is assassinated by Darius. Havoc breaks out in Belshazzar's palace. There is looting and people are killing one another. Vashti, the young daughter of Belshazzar, sees the mob and runs to the throne room, hoping to gain protection from her father. When she reaches the king's throne, she jumps into the lap of the man who is sitting there, expecting that it will be her father. She then looks up and sees that it is not her father, but rather Darius, who is in fact the one who has just killed her father. Darius, though, looks down at the young Vashti who is hiding in his lap, takes pity on her, and marries her off to his son Ahasuerosh. Uh, in this way, both Vashti and Esther are described as beginning in the very vulnerable place of orphans and then becoming more powerful through the story. The text of the Megillah continues with chapter 3. There Haman begins to hatch his insidious plot to kill all the Jews. By the beginning of chapter 4, News of the decree mandating the slaughter of the Jews has traveled throughout the empire. Everywhere, Jews are donning sackcloth and ashes, and they are mourning and fasting. Esther hears that Mordechai is dressed in sackcloth, and she sends a messenger to find out why. Astoundingly, even though the news of the anti-Jewish legislation has reached the furthest ends of Ahasuerus' kingdom, Esther herself knows nothing about it. Mordechai sends word back to Esther, informing her of the grave danger facing the Jews, and commanding her, Lavo el Mordechai commands Esther to come before the king, to plead with him, and to intercede with him on behalf of her nation. Esther responds by giving Mordechai a lesson in palace protocol. She says, Kol yodim, Asher kol ish v'isha, asher yalvo al ha-melech, el ha-chatser ha-pnimit, asher lo yikare, achat dato lahamit, levad me asher yoshit lo ha-melech et shavit ha-zahav v'chaya. All the servants of the king and all the citizens of the king's provinces know that any man or woman who comes before the king unsummoned is to be put to death, unless the king extends his golden scepter and allows him or her to live. Esther tells Mordechai that she can't possibly just come before the king to plead for the Jews. She comes before the king when, and only when, she is called. She has learned from Vashti's fate that this is the most important function of the queen. Mordechai insists to Esther that it is her responsibility to plead for her people. He adds, 
ומי יודע אם לעת כזאת הגעת למלכות. He says to her, and who knows, perhaps it was for this very reason that you became queen. This is a moment of crisis for Esther. She is caught between conflicting obediences to her foster father and to her husband. Also, for Esther to come before the king unsummoned is an abnegation of her role as Vashti's replacement. She, she was chosen to be queen since she represented the antithesis of Vashti's persona. Esther's position, her identity, and quite possibly her life are all closely tied to her obedience to the king. Despite this turmoil, Esther rises to the occasion and decides to save her people. She astutely realizes, though, that Mordechai's plan won't work. Esther knows enough about the palace workings and the way power is manipulated to know that she cannot blithely ask the king to go against his most influential advisor. She alone must figure out what to do. Mordechai, outside the palace gates, does not know enough to help her. As Esther searches about for inspiration, she realizes that instead of defining herself as the opposite of Vashti, she will have to take on some of Vashti's characteristics. Like Vashti, Esther will have to find the courage to not have her appearances before the king regulated solely on the basis of the king's desires. Like Vashti, Esther realizes that power is displayed and mediated in the king's court by the throwing of parties. Hosting a party is a display of power. Summoning others to a party is a way of exerting power over them. These subtleties carry a lot of weight in the workings of Ahasuerus' court. Esther assumes control of Mordechai's plan. She commands him to gather all the Jews together and institute a three-day fast. She and her maidservants will fast as well. Esther understands the role that food can have in drawing people together. Vashti found community and strength by having a party of women, and this allowed her to stand up to the king. Esther similarly realizes the need for communal support, but as she is more aware of the danger she is facing, she builds community by abstaining from food together with her people. At the beginning of chapter 5, Esther dresses in royal garments and comes before the king's inner chambers. Much to our relief, the king is pleased to see her and extends his golden scepter. He then says to her, Ma lach Esther hamalka uma bakashatech ad chatsi hamachut v'yinaten lach. What would you like, Queen Esther, and what is your request? Up to half the kingdom, and it shall be given to you. According to Mordechai's plan, it is clear what Esther should do now. She should plead and beg for the king to spare her people. How shocked would Mordechai have been if instead he had heard Esther say, Actually, I'd like you and Haman to come to a party. Esther understands her relative powerlessness in the king's court. She knows that she must consolidate her influence with the king, and she must distance and disempower Haman. The king responds immediately to Esther's invitation and says, Hurry Haman along to do Esther's bidding. Even though it is a mark of honor for Haman to be invited to a private party with the king and queen, and it is clear from later verses that he understands it as an honor, it is also a clear marking of Esther's power over Haman. He must quickly obey her summons. That night at the party, Ahasuerus again tries to find out what Esther really wants. 
Instead of revealing her true request, she sweetly strings him along, inviting him and Haman to yet another party the following night. At that time, she promises to reveal her wishes. Through these subtle means of court diplomacy, Esther shifts the dynamic from her asking the king for a favor to her doing the king a favor by revealing her request. Haman leaves the party Samer Vitovlev. He is happy and his heart is glad. Esther has thoroughly disarmed him. He feels safe and comfortable at a time when he is actually in danger. The following evening, the king's messengers arrive at Haman's home and interrupt him mid-conversation to hurry him off to Esther's second party. There is a resonance here of Vashti's experience of being asked abruptly to leave her own gathering in order to appear at the king's party. An invitation is again a means of asserting control. At this party, when Ahasuerus renews his appeal to learn Esther's request, she responds, Vatan Esther vatomar, im matzati chen be'enecha hamelech ve'im al hamelech tov, tinaten li nafshi b'she'elati ve'ami b'vakashati. Esther says, If I have found favor in the king's eyes, and if it is good for the king, let my life be given to me as my request, and my nation as my petition. Because we have been sold, I and my people, to be destroyed, killed, and wiped out. Suddenly the air of the party disappears, and Esther becomes deadly serious. Both Haman and Ahasuerus are caught off guard. Ahasuerus demands to know who would dare to threaten the queen, and Esther responds that it is the evil Haman. Haman is left speechless. By inviting both men to her party, Esther confronts them on her own turf. She can control the timing of her revelation, and she works it masterfully, leaving Haman with no way out. Haman is hanged by the king for his treachery. Chapter 8 begins with the king handing over Haman's estate to Mordechai and appointing Mordechai to Haman's position of power. We assume that all has been resolved until we realize that Haman's decree against the Jews is still in effect. In verse 3 we are told, Vatosef Esther vatidaber lifnei hamelach, vatipol lifnei raglav, vatef vatitchanen lo lahavir et ra'at Haman ha'agagi ve'et machshavato asher chashav al hayhudim. And Esther continued and spoke before the king, and fell at his feet, and cried, and pleaded with him to avert the evil of Haman the Agagite, and his plot that he had plotted against the Jews. This language of Va'et Hanan, she pleaded, echoes Mordechai's original request that Esther appear before the king, Behit Hanenlo, to plead before him. This, then, was what Mordechai had had in mind all along. Esther's cleverness, though, lay in her realization that this sort of pleading would have been ineffective while Haman was in power, and she was just a supplicant coming in from the outside. Esther learns from her predecessor Vashti, and uses her beauty and her courage and her knowledge of the courtly importance of parties to engineer a situation in which her pleading will be effective. Although Esther and Vashti began as opposites, by the end of the story, Esther has taken on some of Vashti's qualities and these qualities enable Esther to save the Jewish people.